Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well by providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Today is a great day, and before we do anything, I want to wish my friends Happy Hanukkah. Today is the first day of Hanukkah, and... Here's to all my girlfriends and friends out there that are celebrating this day. I'd also like to welcome my special guest, Ms. Trish Carr. And yesterday, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but yesterday her organization, the Women's Prosperity Network, celebrated 11 years of being on the air for Wow Wednesday without missing a beat. And boy, do I give them credit for that because the persistence and the consistency of every week being on the show is extraordinary. And I want to bring on my friend, Ms. Trish Carr, and thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure, and thank you so much. Yeah, you know, I give you a lot of credit, Debbie, because doing every single week, being consistent with your audience so that they can count on you being there. You've been doing this for how long now? Since April. Yeah, and it's... And, you know, there are some days, I'm sure, that come up that you're like, oh, I have to do the show. Well, you know, I, so I love the show. And actually, I have my sidekick, Dr. Tim McGinnis. Tim, Tim has really stepped in a couple of times for me, which has been great. But I'm thinking this morning, when I, well, yesterday, actually, when, when I was on Well Wednesday and you, you guys were talking about the, it's been 11 years. Is that, was that a correct statement? Yes. Yes, well yes, Wednesday? yes. And I'm thinking, wow, it must be nice to have sisters that you can call on <laughs> to pinch it. Well, you're right. You're right. It does. It does. I'll have to tell you though. It um, in eleven years. I don't know. um, I I doubt that I've been on more than twenty times. Yeah, thirty. Isn't it Nancy that holds down the the show? Yes, she's there every week. So I know you have Dr. Tim. So it really does take having a team because sometimes you just can't make it. You know, it just happens. So. Well, and I found anyway, congratulations. that. Congratulations. Thank you, dear. By doing it on Thursdays, too, I run into Thanksgiving, and this year it's the Christmas Eve. And, you know, we just worked around it because my guest on Thanksgiving was uh, Can- uh, Confidence Stavely, and Confidence lives in Nigeria. They weren't doing Thanksgiving. So oh, you've got to get creative, you know, and figure out who yes. your guests are. So, anyway, let me introduce you to our audience. Many of us uh, that listen to this show are actually from Women's Prosperity Network, and I attribute everything I'm doing to you guys at the beginning. 
But I want to let everybody know who you are briefly. It says, Trish Carr is known as the results revolutionary. An acclaimed sales expert for three decades, Trish combines proven sales strategies with the latest behavioral science, resulting in a simple, simple formula that gets past the pitfalls associated with selling. Now, we're not going to be selling today, but we are going to be talking about it's just a conversation. And Trish is the number one best-selling author. That was the name of her book, It's Just a Conversation. She's a business mentor to many of us, an award-winning international speaker. Since her early years, she's worked to be the change by stepping up, speaking out, and leading the way on women's equality and human rights. She's the co-founder with her two sisters of Women's Prosperity Network, a global movement of women coming together in collaboration to be a massive force for positive change through projects, products, and services. I'll talk about WPN a little bit later than later on, but I met Trish years ago. I'd gone down to a holistic chamber of commerce meeting in Fort Lauderdale. First time ever I'd been to that. And she was the guest speaker. I didn't know anything about Trish. She did a great presentation and I stuck around to the end. And Trish, take it from there. What happened at the end? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. You know what? The only thing I have to tell you, the only thing I remember about that event was there was maybe three people in the room, <laughs> right? You were one. Very few. It, it was two? No, I said there were very few. Yeah, it was a small number of people uh, in the room, but I don't remember what happened at the end. Remind me. Well, remember, you, you actually you did a call to action, and, and I think the next day was Women's Prosperity birthday. There was a party in Fort mm -hmm. Lauderdale, and I went up to say hi. I think, I, I don't know if I won your, one of your things, your discs or whatever, but you invited me to come to the event in Fort Lauderdale, and I was thinking, well, I don't have anything to do tomorrow, so why not? And so I went, not knowing anybody, and by the end of your event, I was a lifetime member. So, so how does that happen? What is Women's Prosperity Network about, in your words, and how do you get people to become a lifetime member the first time they walk in the door? Well, that's something I'm going to come back and answer you, but uh, ask you, but um, so Women's Prosperity Network is, a, is women coming together in collaboration. Number one, that in and of itself feels so good uh, because, you know, there's a misconception out in the world that women don't um, play well together, if you will. Uh, I mean, if you watch any of, there are many television shows that appeal to the basis emotions and fears of people and show women who are backbiting, witches, who, you know, they're all out for themselves. And that's not my reality. My reality is every single time I'm with women's from, women from Women's Prosperity Network, we're about, hey, I'm here, to, I'm here. What can I do to support what's going on in your life? Let's talk about how we might explore um, working together. What can we do so that we can both make something happen. I mean, even people in the same industry find ways to work together. For example, simple, very simple. Two women who both work, Mary Kay, who you know is um, a world-renowned skincare company, 
They both do the same thing. Now, in, in, out in the world, people would say, oh, they're competition for each other. But we change one little letter in that word, and instead of competition, it becomes coopetition. And those two women came together and decided that they were going to do small local events together, each of them bringing people. And by doing that, they got more exposure, more sales, a bigger audience. So it's just a beautiful thing when people come together to make a difference. And they want to make a difference. Their job and their, their mission in life is to make women feel beautiful. So just a small example of what happens when women can come together and be collaborative. So I open the door, Debbie, and you and people like you show up. So it feels great, number one, uh, because we're a real sisterhood. You know, people always say, oh, I wish I had a sister because the, the community was created by me and my two blood sisters, real sisters from the same mom and dad. And people are like, oh, I wish I had a sister. And the truth is we have hundreds and hundreds of sisters because of what's, what happens, the synergy that happens at Women's Prosperity. Did that explain well, it, you think? It does, and I love that because I grew up with three brothers. I didn't have any sisters, um, but I can walk into a room and, and just and being away from you guys too, you can walk into a room and feel that there's at least one person there that is a sister by another mister. And yeah. they're so sweet. And and the two women you're just talking about, the Mary Kay girls, um, I've worked with them, and they mm -hmm. actually had me come into one of their events, and I was able to speak. And actually, the two of them were the ones that kicked my but about uh, you know telling my story at the business of speaking, and that's how I started off on the woman behind the smile because I felt safe with those girls, and yeah. was able to tell them what happened, and then they gave me the encouragement to speak up, stand up and speak yeah. and get it out. Now, before you guys, before your sister started Women's Prosperity Network, though you were not well, you were entrepreneurs, but you didn't start as an entrepreneur back in the day. You were in corporate. Right? Yeah, I was in corporate America. My whole career was corporate America. I uh, came up through the phone company. So I was, it was Bell then, you know, now it's AT&T. But that's where I had got my schooling. And I'll tell you what, it was the greatest learning, the greatest, I, I got so much from being in corporate America. The num number one, they invested in me and sent me to all kinds of training. And because I was in a sales environment, not only did I get training on how to sell, which is the skill of selling, but I also got training on how to be a human being, like interpersonal skills and being the best me that I could be. I, I was lucky that I worked for a really, really progressive manager. And back in the late 1980s, I was introduced to the philosophy of the law of attraction. So everybody talks about it now in, in 2020. You hear about the law of attraction and how it works. I was exposed to that back in corporate America, believe it or not. So it was the best training round. And then from uh, the sales organization, I moved into training and development and I'm up the corporate ladder into middle management. 
And it was wonderful. It was really great. I was also, the other side of that was before I was in middle management, before I moved into management, I was a vice president in my union. So that's where the the revolutionary comes from. <laughs> uh, my sister Susan always called me a revolutionary. I was a rebel with a cause was something mm-hmm. she would always say about me. You know, whether it was fighting for you to spay and neuter your animals or whether it was on the picket line, uh, which, of course, was something I did as well, on the picket line trying to keep our medical benefits and our pay scales, I was always involved with um, what was happening now and making sure that people were treated well not just equally, but that people were treated well and people were treated like people. So um, I've always been politically active as well, and um, that doesn't end. You know, it's, it's just something in me that burns to make a difference for people by being the spokesperson and speaking out for uh, people's rights. So coming up through corporate America was great. And then in the late 90s, in the late 90s, things were really changing in corporate, and it was, it was changing across the board. Um, downsizing had become the norm. You know, companies had to do more with less. So what they were doing was, unfortunately, what, one of the sad things about many corporate jobs, and I've worked with people in other industries besides my own. I used to work with people from American Express and UPS and other corporations. And this that was happening for me at AT AT&T was pretty much pervasive in other industries as well. And that is when it's time to get rid of people because you've got to cut your workforce to save money. Because at that point, you know, if you remember, that's when the stock market and Deborah, uh, Deborah Morrison, my financial coach is on the on the line with us so she'll know that you know in the 90s was when everything became about um, dividends and stocks being available to more people and so it was all about the bottom line and it really became about the bottom line so they started to have to get rid of people and unfortunately two-thirds of the workforce in the management ranks were ranked in high uh, high achievers because just like in government jobs Debbie you know how people complain about the DMV and you know calling the IRS just like in government jobs it was much easier to move people who weren't doing well to another job than to actually try to fire them mm-hmm. so the workforce was being ranked higher than they really were. Everybody was rated, oh, you're great. You do a great Mm -hmm. job. Keep doing it. Whereas that's not the case. So they had to get rid of people. So they created this peer review thing where you had to anonymously rank the people that you worked with. And people were being, so they put you into three different categories. And those in the lowest categories were fired. And these are jobs that people have been working in for 10, 15. Some of them were almost close to retirement. And even though they did um, parachutes for them, they gave them money to keep them going for a little while and they kept their benefits for a little while, it really caused terrible morale 
in the workforce. Like people did not want to be there anymore. So those of us who were ranked high, we were struggling with not wanting to be there anymore. So I decided in the late 90s when they were offering all these incentives to leave, I was leaving. I was done. I I didn't want to be around that anymore. You know, when you go down the hall and you're in a good mood and it's, hey, good morning, how are you doing? And the response is, oh, I wish it was Friday. (laughs) Right? It was was very tough to be around. So I decided to leave. And that was in the late 90s. And that's when I started into entrepreneurial pursuits. Did you have any fear of leaving corporate, though? No, not at all. No fear. Because you had, you had some financial, they gave you a little bit of financial resources to get out of there. But leaving the, the mother nest was, yeah. that's pretty brave. Well, you know, I was uh, in my late 30s. I'd already been there for 16 years. So my pension was, I got my pension. In fact, I got it in a lump sum and then I was able to take it and play with it, uh, which was part of the problem I'm going to share with you. Um, and they also gave me uh, three years of medical benefits paid and something like 60% of a year's salary, maybe more than that. I don't even remember. But I was confident. I knew, and it's so funny now because um, in the last couple of years with Facebook, I've been able to reach out and connect with people that I used to work with. And now that, you know, they say, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm running Women's Prosperity Network. We're a global community of people. And I tell them what it's about. And they go, you know, I knew you would do something. I knew there was something bigger and better for you. You were always someone that stood out. And I felt that way about myself. So while I certainly had trepidation around it, I wasn't losing sleep or anxious about it. I knew that no matter what I did, I would be successful. I just knew that. I'd always been, my whole life, I've been always lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, prepared to take on whatever the next opportunity was. There you go. Prepared is the word. Now, you are middle, there's middle middle child or middle daughter? Yeah, middle child syndrome. And I'm the redheaded stepchild. You know, I got red (laughs) hair too on top of it. (laughs) Were you the voice in the family though? Were you the one that would stand up or... Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you you've Along always been my brother. You've always been the brave one and, and of the sisters, um, the, the seemingly the most. Well, this is I don't want the other girls to feel they're slighted in the bit, but you seem to be the most logical, the most you know. Susan's business story. Nancy's woo, and I love her to death. She's the party girl, but you're the the thought person that thinks things out. So that's why I figured you probably didn't have any fear with this because you had money. You had a little bit of that parachute, um, and you had gumption. You know, you'd done a mm-hmm. lot of different things, um, and you had this big vision. But so tell us—you kind of alluded to it. Tell us what you did with your pension and your financial decisions as you went off on your own. Well, what happened was I was married at the time, and my—I call him now my husband. Um, my, my husband was really good with money and he had managed all of our investments. So part of the reason I didn't have concerns was I knew I had a really nice cushion. I had good money in the stock market. I'd been saving my four. I did everything to maximize my 401k. I gave them a dollar and they gave me 66 cents. 
so it was really great. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had a good cushion, and he just took that money and continued to work with it. However, my sister Nancy was a real estate investor, and she would often bring up uh, investment opportunities, and my ex was not interested. He wanted to stay the path. He didn't want to leave the stock market. He didn't really want to diversify, and I'm like watching all these great things that could happen. And uh, so when we got divorced and I got my own money, then I started investing. And initially I did do real estate investing, and I was really good at it. The other thing I did was I worked under a real estate investor as what they call a bird dog. So I learned the real estate world by working in it, the investment world, not a broker. I didn't sell houses or buy houses uh, in terms of for other people. Um, But I worked for him for a couple of years, and I would be the one who would go to people's homes and talk with them when they were in trouble. So I got to use all those interpersonal skills that I learned at the phone company. I used all of my sales and influence skills that I also learned there, got better and better at them because now I could use them in a different environment. And I felt like I was really making a difference for people who were in trouble. You know, we had lots of different ways that we could help them with either paying off their house, getting their house back, And I learned a lot. So I started investing myself. And this was, by this time, I started investing in real estate in 06. And it was great for about two years. And then the bubble burst in real estate. So everything I had and all my holdings, I became upside down, which everybody's familiar with that terminology now. But everything I had was way overpriced. I'll give you an example. I bought a house in December of 06. And when I bought it, it had over $100,000 worth of equity. Mm. So in December, I bought it. I rehabbed it until the end of March. When I sold it in March, I made $25,000. That's how fast the market Mm. So I had a hundred grand in equity in December. Luckily, made twenty-five grand in March. Mm-hmm. So everything I had lost equity. So there I was sitting with all these properties that not only could I not sell, but there was so many rentals that the rental market went down. So I was paying more than the rent I was getting for the properties that I held. So it was. It got really dicey. Interesting. Well, and yeah, that's, you know, to. that's in today's world. I've been looking at investments and it's a little bit different now. Um, but I was telling you earlier that we're in the process of purchasing a home with, for my parents and mm-hmm. the paperwork was extraordinary. You know, the requirements this time were so tight. And then, and, uh, but then I started thinking years ago, they were given houses away that everybody could get a loan, and mm-hmm. then we had to crash, mm-hmm. and everybody lost those homes. So there is a benefit mm-hmm. to being, you know, particular about what you, you want to make sure that people have a job. And that was the other thing that interesting about buying, buying a home in this time period is that with COVID and people losing their jobs or not having job stability, the underwriters are really careful and um, yeah, going to extraordinary measures to ensure that you have a job that will be able to pay for that loan. 
which yep. because it's I'll good. It, it, absolutely we um, <coughs> this time that we were doing real estate investing uh, Nancy and I were also doing real estate seminars and showing people how to become investors and uh, Nancy owned a title company, and a title company is where you do the closing. The title agent is the one who coordinates between the real estate agent, the broker, the mortgage, all that stuff. So we would do real estate closings, and I was working with her at the time. And I would say for about two years, we were doing the majority of the closings were people who were buying houses and instead of putting 20% down, which is something that was required, they were doing a, a mortgage for 80% of the purchase price plus a second mortgage for the 20% that normally they would put down cash. Wow. So big part of the problem with real estate was people had no skin in the game, which is mm -hmm. one of my mother's favorite expressions. Mm -hmm. they, they bought a house. To them, it was like renting. It didn't, I didn't put any money down. So when it got bad, they walked away. Hmm. And they never should have gotten the mortgages in the first place because mm -hmm. I could see when I would close them that they might have had a job, but they were really underwater. Mm -hmm. So we watched it happening and knew that it was coming, but <laughs> knowing it's coming and knowing when it's coming is a whole different story, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But there's, yeah. something, there's something you know very wonderful about owning a home if you can do it. Um, and I've seen that with my parents who've owned homes throughout their lifetime. They, they've been renting for the last few years, and my dad's 91, and he's like, I hate paying someone else for this, for my home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, that's a true statement, Dad. And, and, you know, if the time's right and the right house comes along and the right price and the right everything, it was the perfect, the perfect time, then it's time well, to do it. Well, and that's the thing. It's the perfect time. So for me, I was at the perfect time for finding other investments mm -hmm. that could help me carry my properties because my cash flow had stopped. You know, um, So I needed to be carrying properties. So just before the crash, for example, Nancy and I invested in a brand new pre-construction condominium that was like a mile from the beach. Ooh, and fun. this was, we had been doing the closings for this developer, so we were watching the whole year that he was building these condos. People would buy them at very low, and within three months, they were selling them much higher. So we bought uh, a unit. Mm -hmm. But because of delays in construction, by the time we bought it and closed on it, it was not the same price we thought we were going to be able to sell it. So I put a renter in it, but I had to pay more than the renter was giving us. So I was looking for investments that would help me cover the monthly nuts on these things. I had another one that was a condo conversion. It was a, an apartment unit, beautiful apartment unit, great location, and they were going condo. So I bought the condo, and three months later, the condo association president absconded with all of the money in the association. Like oh, it just was the perfect storm of the stuff hitting the fan for me financially. So I was ready. I was ripe. And um, in, I think it was the beginning of 07, might have been, yeah, it was probably around 07. And that's when I started seeing things go down, go down, go down. So 
a friend of mine came to me and said that she, her cousin had a really great investment opportunity, and he had been involved in this investment opportunity for many years. It was a consistent high rate of return, and because it was this friend of mine, and her husband was very high level at Broward Sheriff's Office, and not only was he high level at Broward Sheriff's Office, but this man, who's still my friend to this day, he would take forever to make a buying decision. I mean, he unturned, ev- turned over every stone, looked at every piece of an investment before he would put his money down. And he, they were putting down $750,000 into this investment. And it was, what was happening was they, there was a company in Chile, sort of like a Macy's, the Macy's of Chile, Mm-hmm. And they needed to buy electronic parts and product, products, but for whatever reason, um, they couldn't get everything through the tariffs, and if it was bought by an American company and shipped over, they were actually getting wholesale prices, and they were able to sell them retail. So it had been going on for a long time. The investment was whatever I wanted it to be, and the return on investment was every single month at 3%. They were having a special. Usually it was 2%, but it was 3%. So I said, great. If, if Tom is in, I'm in. And they showed me things, you know, gave me bills of lading, showed me what the company was doing. And it was great. For a year, so I gave them $85,000. And for a year... I was getting about $1,000 a month, which was exactly what I needed to be able to, you know, cover those real estate investments. And then I'll never forget it. I was walking to the beach in Pompano Beach. I can see it like it was yesterday, and this was March of 2008. So I'd been in it for a year. And actually, the title company had money that we invested and we put in as well, like $75,000. But that we only kept in for a few months, and then we took it out. And taking it out was no big deal. Sure, here's a check. Here's your $75,000 back. And in only a short three months, we made like $5,000 in returns. So here I am in March walking to the beach, and I'm on the phone with my girlfriend, the friend of the cousin who invited us into this. And she said, the first words out of her mouth to me were, it's all gone uh-oh. And I stopped in my tracks. I'm sure, Debbie, it reminds you of the, when you heard from oh, your man. I'm, sitting, I'm right? sitting here. I can feel it. I can feel it yep. coming. Yeah, the first words. Not, hi, how are you, but it's all gone. And the oh. sound of her voice was, I've, I, I knew what she said, and I, I was like, what are you telling me? She said, it's all gone. There's no money anymore. The money's gone. We lost our money, and I just was just blown away. I mean, I, I, I felt sick, right? <laughs> like, mm, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Not only was that $85,000, but let me tell you, it was money that wasn't my own mm. because I was using my second – I had a, a, a HELOC which I can't remember what that's called, but it's a second mortgage where the bank says there's $100,000 equity in your house if you ever want to use it. 
just yeah. use it and pay us back at 4%. Yeah. So I used that to invest because it was safe money. I was totally believing that it was safe because it had been around for so long. In fact, in this particular investment were the president of the University of Miami, like high-level people at University of Miami and, and people who worked for Broward General Hospital. Like this was an investment that had been forever. Well, at the time, I had never heard of Bernie Madoff. <laughs> I didn't know what a Ponzi scam was. In fact, when I told my brother about it a few months later, he says, oh, yeah, that's a Ponzi scam. I said, a what? He goes, yeah, it's a Ponzi scam. The money comes in, and with the money that comes in, they pay the investors, and that's all it is, is just money coming in and money going out. And what happened was too many people were asking for their investments back, and they ran out of money. Mm-hmm. So I lost 85 grand. My girlfriend lost 750. Her dad had $2 million in it. So it was pretty devastating. But I'll tell you what, I could have hidden under a rock. (laughs) I could have hidden under a rock, but what was I going to do? It happened. I'm really good at compartmentalizing things, and I just put it in this little box, and I moved on. I just moved on. But from there, I was feeling really squeezed now because I had investments in the real estate that weren't working. I had now a home, a homeowner's loan that I had to pay and didn't see anything in return. So then I continued to look for other investments. And I continued to lose on those investments for the next little bit. In fact, a couple of years later, uh, I've been working with a business broker who brought me some really good investments. I've, I bought some property that worked out really well. Um, I had bought a company that was working out really well, and he brought me another opportunity, and it was uh, asset investments. So again, money would go to businesses so they could grow their businesses, and they had a short-term loan, and they were paying it back, and everything was great. So I put money into that. This time, though, I only I'm so I know I'm not putting another 85 grand. I only put in like 12 five. It was only $12,500. It wasn't a lot of money. And guess what? That turned out to be a Ponzi scam too, three years later. So, you know, people think that Ponzi scams come from Bernie Madoff. They don't. They come from people you trust. (laughs) The people you trust the most. I'm always reminded of the Godfather movie when Clemenza said, you know, the guy who comes to you with the meat is going to be somebody very close to you. Mm. And that's the truth. Because you, you know, I let down my guard and I trusted them. So for what it's worth, you know, now I'm out of it. I'm much more careful. I pay more attention. But it can happen to anybody. How did you you get your trust back? Oh, you know, I didn't really get the trust back. I got getting smarter about checking out investments and I started to lean more towards more traditional investments, going back to the stock market, for example. So many parallels in what happened with you with that Ponzi scheme and what happened with me with the online romance fraud. Um, I mean, the art of 
fraud is the art of fraud. There's a psychology of a scam, and it's it's all there. It's the you know pulling the trust of the friends, or you know this is good. They show the documents. They they make you think that everything is on the up and up, and yep. boom, you know then it hits you. Then it and then it for me it pulled the rug out from underneath my heart, my bank account, and everything else. And I can I can hear that in your voice too. Um, and the, and I'm like you in a lot of ways that I compartmentalized. I moved on. Um, I realized, and I love this saying, is that my last suit has no pockets. Couldn't take the money with me. But I was really angry that, that someone could take advantage and do it so convincingly. Um, yeah. And I was thinking, I was listening to one of your uh, YouTube interviews, and you were talking about effective conversation and how when you're talking to somebody, you match and mirror what they're saying. Yeah, I was thinking, yes. I wrote a note to myself and going, hmm, scammers can be the most effective communicators. <laughs> they mm -hmm. listen, they ask questions, they ask what they, what, they, what they want, and then I'm like, oh my gosh. And I loved how you said this. You could say, oh my gosh, I have to get them, I have to ask for the money, or oh my gosh, I get to ask for the money. And I'm thinking, right. my scammer was going, oh, I get to ask for the money, and she's going to say yes. And the more she yeah. says yes, the more money I get. And when she starts saying no, then I have to work on her, you know, or yeah, drop her. They, drop her. Um, mm -hmm. So thanks for telling me. I remember when I first came out uh, to Nancy and uh, Mary at Business of Speaking about my scam, and then I remember you coming up to me and said, Deb, I was taken in a Ponzi twice. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, here we've got these intelligent, well-trained, well-financed women, and there are many men out there too, but we're speaking to the women, that are being taken. And mm -hmm. what can we do to per maybe protect ourselves at that? But you learn to really, I mean, you went back to the basics. For me, I would say online dating is fine for a lot of people, but I found my husband through the basics, through a friend. Um, yeah. So how do we get back to the basics, Trish? Because that, that sets you back financially. And here's one quick question. Were you able to tell your family? And if so, how did you do that? Yeah, I did. I mean, I just did. Like I said, a couple months later, my brother came to visit, and I was, uh, we, we were talking about money. It's something we do in my family, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. And uh, I told you know I just told him I was like look at how dumb I was I can't believe this happened to me and if it happened to me it can happen to so many other people let me tell you the the cousin who invited my friend who invited me the cousin was taken mm -hmm. this was his college roommate who was doing this to him so I I think it's important to talk about what happens you know it certainly didn't make me feel good. I, uh, I know I'm a smart person, but I fell for something. Even though I did all that I could and it made the most sense, I couldn't beat myself up for it. Right. It happens. Okay, it happened. And if I tell people about it, then they'll be wary and make sure that they do what they can so that they don't fall victim to it. So for me, I think trust, I think love, I think all of those things are a choice. I can choose to trust or I can choose not to trust. And if I'm going to choose to trust, then I'm going to make sure that I do everything possible to trust my own decision. 
because that's really what it comes down to. Did, did you ever have a gut feeling that it wasn't right? I mean, even for an instant? No. No. Okay. No. Not once. Not yeah. once. My gut told me, wow, this is amazing. Isn't it lucky? My life, listen, everything in life happens to me for a reason, and this is coming to me at the perfect time when I needed it. Thank you, universe, for giving me this opportunity to be able to pay my bills. You know, I've always been quote-unquote lucky, like I said earlier. I've always, you know, anything I went for, I usually got. Any job I ever went for, I got. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always felt like, and I still do, that the, the universe was supporting me. And truthfully, everything that happens to me is the best thing that can happen to me. That Ponzi scam was the best thing that could happen to me at the time because it made me wiser. Like even though I made another mistake, even though I trusted again, I only trusted to the tune of $12,000, not to $85,000, and it was my money, not the bank's money, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned along the way, and, you know, we all make mistakes. We We do the best that we can do with the information that we have, and that's what I reminded myself of. There was no way I could know apart from flying to Chile and talking to the people at the, the place and finding out that there was no such thing happening. Yeah. I did everything I could. I made the right decisions at the time. And, I, you know, I trusted myself. And, oh, well, okay, so I've learned. Did it feel uh, that way in the beginning? No. In the yeah. beginning, I wanted to just hide under a rock. But within a month, I was sharing it with people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad because that, that's the whole premise behind Stand Up and Speak Up and doing what we're doing is because there is somebody out there that needs to hear what we went through so that they don't do it. Or if they do it, mm-hmm. they're aware that it's happening out there and it could happen to them. Um, I didn't know about scams, online scams back in 2012. I wish I had. Um, right, but it's uh, incumbent upon me now to speak up. I mean, I got an I got a letter yesterday from a woman, and she said the very first thing she said was, "Thank you so much for writing your story, because it's my story." And I'm mm. thinking, oh, I'm not doing enough to get this word out because on a weekly basis I'm getting these letters from women, doctors and financial people, and you know people that have retired and well trained, smart women that are just getting their hearts ripped out and the scammers are getting better with time and COVID has made it easier for them to get to people you know because we're looking for friends we're looking for people to communicate with and do business with online these days and it's tough because the scammers are out there and they are really good Mm -hmm. Well, they are. My co-author of It's Just a Conversation, Debbie Silverman, just wrote a book, just released a book. And the book is called uh, Protecting the Rabbit Ears Generation. It's a great book. Yes, I'm sure you've, you've been in touch. And it's all about true stories of crime, fraud, and scams against seniors and the elderly. Yeah. And honestly, it's not just seniors. I'll tell you, last week my phone rang probably six times a day for two or three days, and it was an automated message from the Social Security Administration. 
telling me that my benefits had been suspended because there was fraud detected on my Social Security, press 1 to take care of it. And of course, when I pressed 1, I played with the guy on the other end. <laughs> but, but that's a, a, a scam. That's, yes. The Social Security Administration is never going to call you. My mother-in-law twice gave away her bank account number, her Social Security number, had to change her bank accounts because she fell victim to phone calls like that. So yes. they're everywhere. And it happens often. You, and, and I'm sorry, Debbie is actually coming in. She's going to be my guest in March. Um, good. Because, I mean, and as we get older, Trish, we're part of, we're part of that considered elderly now, which is, doesn't I seem know. right for me. I, um, I you know. know. That we're seniors at, in our 60s. We're really not. You know, it's all a matter of mind. But it's really happening out there. And I'm going to bring in Dr. Tim McGinnis. Tim is the founder of SCARS, which is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. Tim and I work a lot together with, with women that have been in relationship scams around the world. But when Tim and I are talking about the Ponzi scheme, he's like, oh, my gosh, there's so much that's just like what happened in the relationship scams. So, Tim, are you there? I am here. And, hey. and by the way, uh, Debbie Silverman's book is available on the SCARS store at shop.againstscams.org. There we go. There we go. We'll talk about that too. Tim, what do you think about this, you know, the, the art of the scam and the whole psychology of the Ponzi and the uh, relationship scams and scammers? And Well, real quick. The, the, the critical thing to come out about this is the fact that everybody can be scammed and that you can be scammed over and over again. The only way to defend it, defend yourself against it, <clears throat> is to change your behaviors. Not to try and think your way through it or be more critical or uh, introspective or, or investigative about scams. It doesn't work. Scammers are going to be smarter than you. They're going to be better than you because they have more money than you. Now, one rule of thumb when it comes to investing, don't ever invest in something that you don't know about thoroughly. Because the biggest mistake that investors make is investing in a subject matter that they don't have real institutional knowledge about, so they become easily duped in that regard. Essentially, all of these are relationship scams. They're all based on some form of social engineering where the scammer creates a set of circumstances, a set of motivations that lure in a victim, and then they're going to use manipulative techniques to hold them in place long enough to get all of the money. Another aspect that's really important is don't minimize the trauma that you experience from one of these scams. The reality is these are life-changing events. Even if it results in something that you think is minimal, a certain degree of distrust, the trauma actually can be profoundly more severe than that. And it is worth seeking out local counseling after you've been scammed. One of the great things in the United States is our state governments, through grants provided by the Department of Justice, have counseling available for every crime victim who experiences trauma. And you can find those resources on vinevinelink.com uh, under the section of additional resources. Vinelink is a, is a nationwide resource for 
notification to victims of criminal status changes. Anyway, so I think the thing that is most illustrative that came out of this is the fact that smart people are just as easily scammed as dumb people. This is not anybody's fault. Maybe you didn't do enough due diligence, but trust me when I say that even smart people confuse themselves. There's a thing called confirmation bias, which essentially is we see what we believe we are going to see, regardless of what actually is there. And the only way to prevent this from happening is to change your behaviors so that you stop investing or sending money on whims, impulses, and spur of the moment. If it looks good, great. Wait a week. Wait a couple of weeks. If it's still there then, fine. If you have to invest in something or if you have to send money because something's going to happen in the next 24 hours, automatically walk away from it. As your grandmother said, sleep on it. That's the best way of deterring your probability of being scammed. Thank you so much, and that is true because I know in, this, in our scammers world, and maybe Trisha's happened with you, things are always urgent. You got to do it quickly. You got to get us that money fast. You know, get that wire sent. Um, thanks, Tim. I appreciate that. And back to Miss Trish, you've gone from the boardroom to the beach <laughs> and back. <laughs> and what I love now is that you're taking your global desire to change women and change our voices. Um, to the world through Awakening Giants, through Women's Prosperity Network, and I just I want people to find you, Trish. How can they find you out there? You can find me. I'm all over social. Women'sProsperityNetwork.com is where you can find out all about Women's Prosperity Network, and of course, Trish Carr uh, is found easily at TrishCarr.com. You and can find me in both of those places. C A R R, two R. Trish Carr. Trish yes, I have the I have the original sister last name. We were talking about that yesterday on Wow Wednesday. Yeah. My two sisters have different last names than me, but I have the original last name that all the sisters have. So really wow. easy, right? Trish Carr, two two syllables. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you and your sisters for Women's Prosperity Network. It changed my life in so many wonderful ways, and I've been put around some incredible women. Uh, and it's not just local, you know, because our circles now, is, as we meet people in Women's Prosperity Network, they could be from Denver. We've got some on the show here mm-hmm. that are from Texas, that are from California. And when, when we moved from the Women's Prosperity Network here and then joined in with Awakening Giants out in California, I was watching our video this morning in yours of um, the Awakening Giants trailer, The Sizzle, and... What a great opportunity. I love when you and I were on that. Uh, the, oh, I just had a brain cramp. When we were running around San Diego. Yes, looking we were for, on the, the naval ship. We were. And the challenge and the competition that came out. That's why I loved you go from competition to competition. You're one competitive woman. Oh, my God. I know. That, act, that, that put me in a competitive situation and just watch out. <laughs> Well, you were dragging us around San Diego, and there's one thing that you did say, though, because um, you had this big vision, but you said, we overthink life and we got stuck. Yes, we did. 
So how, how did we change that around, or did we not? Because we didn't come in first. We did not No, we didn't back. come in first. We didn't come in first. But, you know, we did manage to have – so what we did, everybody who's listening, was we went on what's called the Amazing Race. There you if go. you're familiar with the TV show. And the idea was to find – we would get clues at different places, and we had to find these San Diego landmarks, and it was a way for us to find – uh, to see San Diego. And the idea was we would be doing fundraising along the way. Well, we got so caught up in being the first ones to win the race that we didn't fundraise the way we should have. But, you know, we still had fun along the way, Debbie. Remember when we were going from the naval ship and we were walking through a park, we stopped and talked to these guys who were playing soccer and we had them take a picture with us? I mean, we still managed to have a good time. We had a blast. Yeah, so it's about, you know, it's about having fun along the journey. That's, that's, that's what life is about. You know, not, we get so caught up in the where am I going next and what am I doing next and how am I going to get this done that we miss that we're in San Diego in a beautiful park on a beautiful day and being able to connect with people. That's the thing I always do my best to remember is that it's a journey, but it's meant to be enjoyed all along the way. And I, we had Linda and I with us, and, and maybe that's where, you know, get off the merry-go-round came about. Yeah. Because we were sitting on a merry-go-round, and we were looking for some, some minute little thing on this merry-go-round, and it was probably right in front of us somewhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. But what fun to, to get ourselves out of our comfort zone and, again, up on the confidence course, jumping off that pole, or you walking across the high, the high uh, ropes. Um, mm-hmm. Those are things that we feared initially, but with the mm-hmm. encouragement of others and the confidence of going one step at a time, we were able mm-hmm. to get over those fears, which are false expectations appearing real. I mean, although mm-hmm. if you're standing up on a pole 30 feet high, there was a real fear there, physical fear. Um, but jumping and catching them, for me, catch, catching that trapeze was the most liberating Tinkerbell moment in my life. And I can mm-hmm. still feel it, you know. And seeing mm-hmm. you walk on stage in front of the Women's, the Women's Prosperity Network and just raising your hand and the music blasting, what a liberating moment to know that, that mm-hmm. you are changing people's lives. And I thank you for doing that. It's, a, it's amazing what you sisters are doing. All of that you just talked about, jumping and walking across wires and walking across fire, it's all a metaphor for life. Yeah. Because... You know, we offer workshops like what you went to to learn how to speak and get your message out and to stand in your power. And we offer uh, training on sales and building your business. But it's all about taking one small step at a time surrounded by people who care about you and support you so that you can continue your journey and get to where you want to go. And then when you get there, knowing that there's still another mountain to climb. That's and what also, it's all about. And celebrating that you got there. Yeah. The little celebrations. I think we get so critical of what we did wrong that we forget what we're doing right. And yes, agreed. I love that you guys celebrate and tell us not to compare. Don't compare yourself to someone else because we're all at different stages of the journey. 
Yes. But it's a journey, Absolutely and it's a right. journey of life, and it's wonderful. And Trish, thank you so much for being my guest. I really, I love being around you guys and hearing you. And, and with the pandemic and all of us doing everything via Zoom, it's not quite the same. But I thank you for, for the, the uh, voice you have in the world and, and making it a better place for each one of us, especially as women, uh, giving us that courage to step forward, stand up, and speak up. And thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Back at you, my friend. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for doing your show. Thank you for getting your message out there because you give other people courage to do what you did. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And so, everybody, thanks again for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance program based here in Miami, and we support scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help those victims around the world to receive the help that they need. It's important. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you know anyone who struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out Benfotiamine products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Thanks, everybody. Go to my website. Check out TheWomanBehindTheSmile.com for additional information and resources. And go to WPN. It's an incredible women's organization serving women around the world. Thank you to Trish Carr and her sisters, Dr. Tim today, and for all of you, have a happy Hanukkah, have a happy holiday season, and we'll see you again next week. Take care.